Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. <laughs> Dave, do you have a backup preacher in case my wife decides to go into labor at this very moment? Well, <laughs> well good, good morning. It is great to be here with all of you this morning. Anne and I have looked forward to gathering with this church for a long time now. We've been in Dubai for the past year since we moved back, and we haven't been able to visit. So it is with great joy that we are here with you all. As we think about the past couple of years since this church was planted, we praise God for the many lives uh, that have been changed and saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ here. We love the fact that the gospel is front and center in your singing, in your praying, and in your preaching. So again, it is with great joy that Anne and I are here with you today. Thank you so much for the great privilege it is to bring God's word to you. Before we begin, let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your mercy and your grace poured out on sinners like us. That, that you have even decided to, spoke, to speak, to speak words of life through your word into us. So, Father, we pray that you would give me faithfulness and that you would give us receptive hearts that would truly hear your word and repent and believe. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, have you cried before? Have you ever cried before? Did you ever cry this past year? Uh, if you have... What was it that you cried about? Who did you cry out to? Was it your spouse? Was it your mom or dad or a co-worker? Was it a friend or maybe a foe? Uh, I was in the fifth grade when I cried out to my friend Sam Steinke. I remember it so clearly. We were sitting during probably recess or lunch. I had a very rare Pokemon card if... Any of you remember what that is? It's a playing card that no one knows anymore. Uh, but I had a rare one, a very precious one to me. And he saw it and he decided he wanted it. So he asked for a trade. I don't remember what the cards were, but I decided, okay, Sam, it, it's a fair trade. Let's do it. I was wrong. It wasn't a fair trade. I had been duped by my dear friend, Sam Steinke, and five minutes later, I was found crying out to him for mercy. Give me back my card. Trade it back, please. He eventually agreed and then called me a crybaby. <laughs> well, I look back at it now, and just as you laughed, I, I laugh at the thought of crying over a mere Pokemon card that I have absolutely no idea where it is now. It's probably in a trash pile somewhere in the UAE or rotten and dissolved already into the ground. But it makes me wonder, is there anything worth crying about? Is there anything worth crying about? Well, we see our answer in our psalm today. Please turn your Bibles to Psalm 130 if it's not already there. We'll split our passage into three parts. First, we'll see a sinner's plea, verses 1 to 3. Second, we'll see a holy God's forgiveness, in verse 4. And finally, a sinner's response, in verses 4 
to 8. So again, first, a sinner's plea. Second, a holy God's forgiveness. And third, a sinner's response. So first, the sinner's plea, verses 1 to 3. Read with me. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Well, we see that the psalmist is crying out. Specifically, the psalmist is crying out to the Lord, the very creator of the universe. He's crying out to the one who has control over every single thing, who rules with perfection, who gives life and breath to everything he knows. And notice the weight of his cry. It's not just crying over a lost Pokemon card. It's not just crying over the loss of a favorite sports team. He's crying out out of the depths. The psalmist here is using vivid imagery intentionally. And we see this imagery in another psalm. So if you have your Bibles with me, please now turn to Psalm 69, verses 1 to 2. Psalm 69, verses 1 to 2. And we'll see what this imagery is. This is what this other psalmist says about being in the depths. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Our psalmist is in a place where he's despairing for his own life. He feels as if he's drowning like this other psalmist and there is no hope. So he cries out to the Lord. But you and I should wonder one question. What is our psalmist sinking in? What has overcome this man's life? What has caused this man to cry out to the Lord? Is it his enemies? Is it sickness? Is it disease? Perhaps it's financial trouble? Or maybe it's the closeness of death. Well, we find our answer in verse 2. Please look at me, with me with, at verse 2. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Friends, our psalmist is pleading for mercy. He's crying out to the God of the universe for mercy. He's crying out mercy because he knows what he deserves. And you see that in verse 3. Look at verse 3 now. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Friends, our psalmist is crying out to the Lord, Don't give me what I deserve. Give me mercy. Friends, the psalmist has sinned against a holy God and he knows it. And he knows that if the Lord counts these sins against him, there is no hope. So I ask us, oh, who can stand if the Lord marks our iniquities? Who can stand if the maker of the universe counts our sins against us? The psalmist doesn't answer. The answer is clear. 
No one. No one can stand. No one can stand before the Lord in our sin. Not the Pope. Not the pastors of this church. Not the sheikh. Not the president of the USA. Not the best person that you know in your entire life. No one can stand in their sin before the Lord. Friends, now do you see the depths that our psalmist is in? It's not simply his circumstances in life. It's not his enemies. It's not financial troubles. It's not his health. The psalmist is drowning in something far greater than any of life's circumstances. He's drowning in the depths of his own sin. He's drowning in his own sin and condemnation. He's drowning in the weight of his sin against a holy and righteous God. Brothers and sisters, know this. I'm not trying to make light of difficult circumstances. There are definitely times which should cause us to cry out to the Lord. Difficult times, death, loss. My wife and I know this well when uh, a few months before moving here, we actually lost our first child through a miscarriage. Uh, It was a difficult time and we cried out to the Lord and we pleaded. We prayed for strength. We gathered with His people. But oh friends, death, difficult times in life, the loss of a job, sickness, disease... We must remember all of these things we experience for one reason. And it's because we live in a sinful world. Friends, suffering, death, and injustice happens because we live in a sinful world. The difficult circumstances in life are mere pointers to the greater problem. Sin. John Owen writes, Sin is the disease And the afflictions of life are mere symptoms of it. So I ask, have you cried out for mercy like the psalmist? Beloved, when was the last time you cried out to the Lord like this? When was the last time you were so broken over your own sin against a holy God that you felt like you were in the depths and you cried out, have mercy on me? A sinner. Friends, we must remember that there is no small sin against a great God. There is no small sin against a great God. We are no better than the psalmist. We too have rebelled against the holy God of the universe. See, all of us weren't created to be sinful. We were, in fact, created to be perfect and blameless. We are created to love God and to be loved by Him. Yet, we've so often chosen to love ourselves, haven't we? Love what we want over what God wants. We've chosen to obey our own ideas about life, what what is right and what's wrong, instead of God Himself, who created good. I hope you understand that every sin is treason against the King of all creation. Oh, my non-Christian friend, I hope that as you're sitting here, that you begin to see that we aren't entitled to life. 
We don't deserve joy. We don't deserve happiness. We don't deserve even being in this room together and enjoying friendships. The one thing that we deserve as a human race, the one thing that we are entitled to, is an eternity spent in hell. That's the one thing we deserve. Perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian and you think, well, Johnny... A good God would never do that. If God is good, by definition, He won't send people to hell. Oh, my my friends, if God did not judge us for our sin, it would mean He doesn't care about the civil war going on in Syria. It would mean He didn't care about the broken families in this room or in Dubai or in this world. It would mean He doesn't care about the injustice going on in the world. But the good news, friends, is that He is good. And He does care. And because He is good, He will judge us for our sins, for what we deserve. So I ask again, do you see the depths that you are in? That you are in desperate need of mercy. This should make us wonder, who can save us? Who can save us from these depths? Who can save us from the very judgment of God? If this is where we are, what is, where is the hope? Can it be found inside of us? Can we simply earn our righteousness before a righteous and holy God? Can we simply save ourselves out of the depths that we've put ourselves in? Friends, the answer is no. There is only one who can save, and we see it in our text, the Lord. It's the very one our psalmist cries out to, the Lord. He alone can save. The Lord alone can forgive. So first we saw a sinner's plea. Second, we'll see a holy God's forgiveness. Look at verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness. But with you, there is forgiveness. God is not only all just, He is also all forgiving. We see that so clearly in this text, that there is forgiveness with the Lord. But it also should lead us to another very important question about God's forgiveness. And it's this. How does God forgive us? How does God forgive us? Does He simply ignore our iniquity? Does He simply pass over our sins and cast them out and sweep it all under His cosmic carpet? Listen to Exodus 34, 6-7. Exodus 34, 6-7. The Lord... The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Friends, do you hear it in verse 7? God will by no means clear the guilty. God can't simply go over our sins. 
He can't simply unmark our iniquities. Our sins must be dealt with. They must be paid for. Then you might ask me, well then, how is it possible that God forgives? How is it that a holy God can forgive sinners? Friends, the good news of the Bible is that there is another man who cried out to the Lord. And his name was Jesus. And we see his cry to the Lord in Mark chapter 13, verses 32 to 42. Mark chapter 13, verses 32 to 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Here we find Jesus in the garden before his arrest and his crucifixion. We can see that he too was in the depths, isn't he? Look at verse 34 again. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus was sorrowful even to death in this very moment. This is astounding because we've never seen Jesus like this before. Jesus is always the one who is calm, collected, and in control without fear. When a demon-possessed man appears, he doesn't spaz out and run away. He simply casts him out. He's sleeping through a raging storm and he wakes up and calms the storm with a word. Yet here, we find him sorrowful, even to death. Why, you might ask? Well, the answer is in verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. See, the cup that Jesus is talking about here is the very cup of God's wrath. It's the very judgment of God. This is what Jesus was about to drink on the cross. But Jesus is unique in this way. He didn't deserve the wrath of God. He didn't deserve to drink that cup. Why? Because he was God himself in the flesh. 100% God, 100% man, who lived a blameless life. He was found without sin. He is the perfect man that none of us can ever be. And yet God's judgment was going to be poured out on him. That's why he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. My dear friends, Jesus is found in this state because he knew the weight of God's wrath. He was fearful of God's holy and just judgment. Just like our psalmist, crying out out of the depths of knowing the wrath of God that is 
going to be poured out upon him. So if the Son of God, if Jesus himself was fearful of the wrath of God, shouldn't you? If Jesus himself was fearful of the wrath of God, shouldn't you fear that as well? Shouldn't we fear that? Unless we understand God's justice and his wrath, we will never understand the weight of his forgiveness. Martin Lloyd-Jones help us understand the weight of the cross even more. He, he said this, If God could have forgiven sin by just saying, I forgive, he would have done so. And Christ would have never been sent into this world. The work that was given him to do, to drink the cup of God's wrath, this work, this assignment, this task, was given to the Lord Jesus Christ because I say again, without it, God cannot forgive sin. Friends, this is good news for us. Because it is on the cross where God Himself in the flesh takes upon all our sins. He takes upon all our iniquities, our lies, our lust, our pride, our swearing, our selfishness, our idolatry. All our sins, past, present, and future was marked against Christ on the cross as if he committed all of them himself. And he suffered the very wrath of God. And he died. And on the third day he rose again to show that his salvation indeed was successful and he accomplished forgiveness for you and for me. Friends, this is the glorious news of the gospel that sinners can be forgiven by a holy God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be forgiven, brothers and sisters, because God has not marked our iniquities against us. He's marked them against Christ, His Son. If you're here and you're wondering if there is forgiveness for a sinner like you, friends, I hope that you see in our text today that there is forgiveness there is no sin that is unforgivable. No matter what you've done in your life, you can be forgiven today, right now, if you would just trust in Him, the one who has paid for all your debts. He is able to save you and forgive you. And my dear brother or, and sister who, who might struggle with condemnation, listen to Martin Luther's words for you. So when the devil throws sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Our friends, let's flee to Christ Let's behold the one who has paid all our debts in full. And let us sing as we sang earlier. Now my debt is paid. Is, it's paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed.
Friends, first we saw a sinner's plea. Second, we saw a holy God's forgiveness. And now we'll see a sinner's response. Verses 4 to 8. Well, how do we respond to such glorious, amazing news that there is forgiveness with the Lord? Well, four quick ways. First, obedience. Second, hoping in His Word. Third, waiting for the Lord. And fourth, proclaiming His forgiveness. Obedience, hoping in His Word, waiting for the Lord, and proclaiming His forgiveness. We see our first response to the forgiveness of God in verse 4. That you may be feared. That you may be feared. A response to the forgiveness of God is fear. But it's not a fear of God's judgment anymore, because that's been paid at the cross. It's now a fear of displeasing the very God who has shown mercy and forgiveness. It's a fear of displeasing Him, displeasing the God who has saved us and dishonoring Him. It's the kind of fear you have when you don't want to disappoint someone you love. Friends, the response to God's forgiveness is fear. We love God, so we don't want to displease Him, so we obey Him. Beloved, the forgiveness of God must lead us to obey Him. Or in other words, the forgiveness of God must lead us to hate our sin and to put it to death. It must lead us to hate our sin and to put it to death. So a question for you. Do you love your sin? Do you love your sin? Or do you hate it? If you say that you're a Christian, and yet you love your sin, and your life is marked by disobedience, my dear friends, I beg you, stop fooling yourself. Stop fooling yourself, because you haven't understood yet. If you still love your sin, and look to the cross, See your need for Christ and see your sin for what it is and see the forgiveness of God. Brothers and sisters, if you're holding on to sin in your life, I ask, why continue in it? Why continue in that sin? Why continue in the sin that was laid upon Christ for your forgiveness and freedom? Oh, oh, friends, let us forsake our sin together and pursue Christ in holiness and turn to Him in worship, in thankfulness, and in obedience. So the first response to God's forgiveness is obedience. This is the mark of someone who's truly understood the forgiveness of God. Obedience to Him and a hatred towards His sin. The second is hoping in His Word. We see this in verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in His Word, I hope. Friends, in response to the forgiveness of God, we hope in the Lord. That is, we trust in Him. We trust in His promises, specifically given to us in His Word. As my pastor John Fulmer has said, 
He said in the past, the word of the Lord leads us to the Lord of the word. The Lord of the word, the word of the Lord leads us to the Lord of the word. That's why we hope in God's word, because it leads us to the giver of life. So I wonder again, in whose word have you been hoping in? Is it your own? Do you like to decide what is right and what is wrong? Do you like to listen to your own ideas about life and what to do? Or is it the world? Perhaps you enjoy listening to the world and what they say uh, about relationships, through music, through songs, through TV, through whatever means. You enjoy listening to them more than you do the Word of God. So I ask, whose word are you hoping in? Friends, the forgiveness of God must lead us to hope not in the world or ourselves, must lead us to hope in His words. So in this next year, it's a new year, let us hope in God's word together. So here are two helpful ways that you can hope in God's word. First, decide to go through a Bible reading plan this year. You can do it by yourself, or or I recommend even going through it with a friend. Deciding to be accountable and read the word together. Read it with your family. Read it to your kids. Read it for yourself. There are many plans that you could do. There's the ESV study plan. There's the McShane Bible reading plan. The most important thing is that you're in the word regularly. And remember that reading the Bible for two hours every two months is probably not the best thing. It's better to spend even just five minutes or ten minutes in His Word daily and building that regular routine. So you could just simply read one chapter a day in this next year. Second, when you read, use Scripture to lead you into prayer. Remember that the Word of the Lord leads us to the Lord of the Word. So as you read the Bible regularly, may it lead you to pray prayers of praise, about God's holiness and justice or forgiveness. Let it lead you to pray prayers of confession, confession of your own idolatry of things or anger or lust. And may it also lead you to pray prayers of petition as you think of other people who this passage could speak to. Pray for them. Friends, in response to the forgiveness of God, we must hope in His Word. Third, We respond to the forgiveness of God by waiting for the Lord. We see this in verses 5 to 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Notice that the psalmist is waiting. What is he waiting for? It's not forgiveness, because he already has it according to verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. Our psalmist is waiting for the Lord himself. My Christian friends, the greatest gift of the gospel, like it was said earlier, isn't ultimately heaven. It's not ultimately forgiveness or mercy. The greatest gift of the gospel is ultimately God himself. John Piper writes this in his book, God is the gospel. 
The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle of everlasting joy in God. Friends, the gift of the gospel is ultimately God Himself. It's a real living relationship with the Creator of the universe. Brothers and sisters, this gives us an amazing hope to look forward to while we live in a sinful and broken world. Listen to what's in store for us from Revelation 21, verses 3 to 4. Revelation 21, 3 to 4. And I heard a voice, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be them, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Oh, Christian, do you see the hope that we wait for? And it's with eager expectation we can hope for this. Just like the watchman, just like the psalmist, like watchmen for the morning who's tired and weary over their shift, and yet they have an eager hope that soon morning will rise, morning will come. Oh, friends, morning will come for us. That's why James, we read that passage in James The Lord is coming. Jesus himself is coming again. Yes, life is hard in this world. We suffer loss. We go through difficult circumstances. Miscarriages happen. Cancer hits. You lose a job. But oh friends, one day, one day there will be no more pain for us who believe. One day there will be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death. And no more sin. Friends, and we will be with our God forever in eternal joy. Friends, in response to God's forgiveness, we wait for Him. And finally, we respond to the forgiveness of God by proclaiming His forgiveness. We see this in our final verses, 7 to 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist now moves outward, doesn't he? He's no longer talking about himself or his own soul. He calls out to Israel, to those around him. He calls out to those around him, hope in what I have found. And he begins to proclaim the steadfast love of the Lord. He proclaims that the Lord, that God himself, is the one who will redeem them from their iniquity and sin. Beloved, the forgiveness of God also must lead us to proclaim that forgiveness to those around us. The forgiveness of God must lead us to proclaim that forgiveness to those around us. The good news of the gospel isn't just good news for you and me here in this room. Friends, it's good news for your neighbors. It's good news for your family back home. It's good news for your Muslim friends, for your Hindu friends. It's good news for your children who grow up in this church. Friends, the good news of the gospel is for every single person we know. 
the richest, the poorest, African, American, Asian, and even Emirati. That is why we as a church, UCCD and Redeemer, long for many more church plants here in the UAE. That's why you sent out Steve Jennings to plant Emmanuel Church in Fajarah, so that there would be a gospel witness there, so that others can come and hear of the forgiveness of God. And that's why you, my friend, my Christian friend, should be sharing your faith with everyone you know. You should be regularly sharing the gospel with your coworkers, neighbors, friends, and family. As a reminder, remember it's not illegal to do this. It's not illegal in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, to simply share what you believe to be true. To share what is true, that is not illegal. With anyone, to share that with anyone you know, even with your Emirati friends. So friends, let's go and share it with those we know. Let's go and let everyone know that they can hope in the Lord. Why? For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with the Lord there is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem all who believe from all their iniquities. Friends, we respond to the forgiveness of God in four ways. Obedience, hoping in His Word, waiting for Him, and proclaiming His forgiveness. Now, real quick, let's conclude. 2014 is now gone. 2015 has now arrived. It's often a good time to ask yourself some good questions. So here are two. Here are two questions to ask yourself leaving from here that you can talk to one another during lunch. First, how have you responded to the forgiveness of God this past year? How have you responded to the forgiveness of God this past year? Second, Who will you hope in in this next year? Who will you hope in in this next year? Will it be yourself or will it be Jesus Christ? Will you follow the words of William Ernest Henley in his poem Invictus? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my own soul. Or will you cry out to God for mercy, confessing your sin and hoping in him, crying out, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. Oh, and I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. And all now I, all I know is grace. Oh, what hope is found here. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are so merciful and gracious and kind to a people who fail you so often. We confess that that even now, after knowing forgiveness, after trusting and being forgiven, we still love our sin at times. We still pursue it. Oh, but as we beheld your glory, as we beheld the Son of God crucified for us, may it lead us to radical lives of obedience of hoping in your word and proclaiming the gospel as we eagerly await your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.